0: Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, well, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but could you have just uh, dwelt on that praise and testimony time for just a little bit longer? It was enjoyable, wasn't it? Um, It's left me for a little bit of a loop knowing how what I have today connects with where you guys are at. Um, But I think obviously God knows what he's doing. So I'm going to pray, like Samuel reminded us again, right? I'm just going to pray that God will give me the words to say. I've got these notes, but we're going to trust that God is going to guide us through 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would just, Lord, fill this room. Lord, I know many of us, are, we're already sensing that to a degree of your spirit being present in this room, stirring our hearts to just praise you and thank you for all that you've done. But Lord God, we pray that you would continue filling this room, filling each of our hearts with your spirit, that as we look into your word, God, that you would guide the discussion that happens. And Lord, prepare hearts. Lord, if there's things that someone in this room needs to hear, or if all of us need to hear, would be, we would be ready and receptive to hear those things. In your name I pray. Amen. So, chapter 9 is not a new topic. Chapter 8, if you remember, was dealing with a particular issue. Does anybody remember? See, you can tell school year's getting close, right? I'm kind of shifting into that. Uh, can anybody remember what chapter 8 had to do with? Yes, the meat offered to the idols, right? And so chapter 8 had to do with this particular issue. In, in Corinth, there was these temples, these pagan temples, okay? And so, in fact, we have actually the picture that's right there. That's actually the temple of Apollo. Um, I, I mean, that's been up there the whole time. There's actually, that up on that mountain, that's called the, I think it's called the Acro-Corinth. Um, that mountain right there. There was actually a temple up on the top of that as well. I mean, Corinth had dozens of different pagan temples to all kinds of different gods. That seems odd to us, but that's how they, that's how they did things. So they want to get harvest. Well, who's the god of the harvest? They want to, they want to get this. They, you know, they want better marriage. Go to this, the, the god of this. And they want this to go better. We're going to go to this god, or the god of the business, or whatever. And so they would go to these different gods. And so Apollo was one of the chief gods of this area. And so a lot of people would go and say they'd bring their sacrifice so they might bring a lamb as a sacrifice. The lamb would be sacrificed. The the temple priest of Apollos, so this is also the, what we, we see, a similar thing in, in uh, Judaism, right? Where the temple priests they would have a portion of that for themselves, but they would not be able to use everything that came in. And so what the, the temples would do is, and they would take their meat down to the uh, the market, and so there would be... Uh, you know, whatever meat was going to be sold in the market. And so some of it, and I'm guessing because of the conversation that it might say that this is Apollo's, you know, the, the meat that had been offered to Apollo. Maybe some of it wasn't identified. Maybe some of it was. Maybe he had to ask. I don't know. There's some little clues as we read through here that you think maybe it could have been one of these things. But this was the dilemma. The Corinthians, some of them were like, well, Apollo's nothing. And it, I think that just exemplifies it. There's his temple. Today, right? Was he anything? Nothing. Um, Has anybody met any, uh, is there still like a church of Apollo around here somewhere? Anybody still worshiping Apollo that we know of? I mean, we, we look at him, we know myth, right? That's all it was, Greek myth. And so he's nothing. And that's what Paul says. There's one God. So in one sense, the right. So some of the Christians in Corinth were going, there's just one God. Apollo's not God. There's one God. So who cares if this meat was offered to the idol? And Paul, Paul consents, he says, that's right. Just meat. Okay? But there were some, and this may have been a shift of thinking for you. There are some that Paul he describes them as having not having that full knowledge. Maybe they'd heard it, but they 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 hadn't fully understood that. And to them, it, it had been offered to this God. And he describes them as having a weak conscience. Not meaning what you may have thought before last week, but hopefully after last week you realize that some of these people, the, the issue was that when they went and they bought this meat that had been offered to Apollo, that temptation was still there because that's all they had known. To I, I wonder maybe if in small ways, maybe just in their minds. Thank you, Apollo. Or, or maybe they, they got it and because their conscience is weak, they, they would fall back into that idol worship thinking, okay, maybe I still need to honor him as part of this, connect it back. And so their consciences were weak in the sense that to, to stand firm and, and to know this is just, Apollo isn't God. That was, that was difficult for them. And so Paul went to a great lengths to say this, and this is where we ended last week. He said, for the sake of these ones that are having this struggle, he said, if I had to, I'd become a vegetarian. He didn't use that word, but he said, I'd never eat meat. I'd never eat meat. If it meant the struggle that this person might face, I would would give that up. Because my rights are less important than my love for the the body, the church. Now, this is interesting because uh, just a few minutes ago we were talking our family, right? And I heard that from more than one of you. This is it. This is us. I know that some of you look around and you go, this is not the family I would have (laughs) picked. It's all right. That's all right. Th- these are the ones that God has brought here to this local assembly, right? I don't know why. I don't know who, uh, what, for what reasons God has brought. I mean, I, I think uh, one of my favorite things about this church is the diversity of types of people in this room, different backgrounds. I think that speaks to something good and gospel-focused, right? I mean, there's so many good things about it. But, but I, I have to say, okay, here we are, this family. And Paul, if you don't get anything else out of what we're talking about, Paul is steering them in a love for family, right? A love for the other members of the church, the part of this body. So what Paul is going to do in chapter 9, i got to be honest, seems, it feels odd. Can Can I put it that way? Like every other time I've read this chapter, it felt odd to me when I'd read this chapter. In fact, there was a little bit of me that thought, I wouldn't mind just skipping this portion and going to the next part. because a little bit of it that feels odd. Are you okay with it feeling odd to me? You guys okay with that? Give me a little head nod. I guess so, Matt. Uh, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it, but uh, it it always felt a little... I, I wasn't quite for sure what Paul was trying to say. And it starts off right at the very beginning. Let me go ahead and jump in here. Paul understand? Oh, wait. No, don't look it. Paul is now going to give an example. So he just called them to say, uh, give up your rights, so to speak. I mean, if you didn't hear anything else, you might have, th- I mean, that's, that's one of the things. In fact, that might have been the thing that was the most obvious in your head. Like there's all kinds of other things, but part of what he said was give up your rights for the sake of the body. And, and so what Paul's getting ready to do now is he's going to now give an example. He already gave a little bit from himself. He said, if I had to, I'd give up meat. Didn't say he had done it, but he said, if I had, I would. Now he's going to kind of shift gears, and listen to what he says. He says, am I, Paul speaking, am I not free? Am, am I not an apostle? And then he kind of evidences the fact that he is an apostle. This is interesting on a completely separate note that I'm, gonna, I'm not going not to dig into today, but when we think about what does it mean to be an apostle, I think we get a hint here of what that looks like. Uh, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So seeing Jesus, where, where did Paul see Jesus the road to Damascus, right? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Then he, he, he talks about the Corinthians, so this church planting idea. He says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? So something about planting churches and spreading the gospel is his apostleship. He says, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I mean, who was the first one who came to Corinth. Paul. And so he 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 says, if I'm not an apostle to anybody else, surely I am to you. Because I, I remember me, I came. Remember me, I'm Paul. This is where it starts to get odd for me. This is where it feels like because like, okay, what was going on here? Okay? And we'll get to that in a little bit here in just a minute. Am I not free? I think. Hinting back to what was before, he could have said, maybe this, am I not free? Am I not free to eat meat if I wanted to? Offered idols? I, I mean, couldn't I as the apostle just say, declare? But yet I'm willing to give that up. Okay, so that's the direction he's going. Um, he says then this, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Kind of talking about what he just said, but then also going forward. Once again, interesting because examining him, there, there's very legal kind of courtroom kind of discussion happening here. Which leads me to think there must have been some examining of Paul. And we get glimpses of this from other places here that maybe some of the people were looking at Paul as like, he's not, I don't know if we can accept him as, I mean, who cares if he's the one that planted it? We've got Apollos, we've got Peter, we, right? Do you remember that back in chapter 1? We have all these different ones, I'm of this group, I'm of this group, I'm of this group. And so there must have been to some degree a tearing down of Paul's apostleship. We're actually going to see some of that in Second Corinthians if and when we ever get there. But he'd make it a defense. But this is fascinating where this goes. I hope it feels fascinating to you. Listen to what he says next. Do we we not have the right? See that right? Right? Feels very American, doesn't it? You don't have the right? Um, I don't think he said it that way. Do do we not have the right to eat and drink? We being, uh, as you'll see here at the end, uh, him and Barnabas. Okay? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Get sustenance? Uh, do we not have the right to take along a believing uh, wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, James and Jude? And Cephas, who's Cephas? Oh, come on, you guys know this. Peter, right? Peter had a wife. So don't we have the right to also bring along a wife? I mean, the other apostles are doing it. I don't think he's bringing that tone, but can you start to, can you feel that tone? Can you see why it was a little weird for me? Because I always started to feel that way. Well, don't I have the right to eat and drink what I want? Don't I have the right? I mean, I could have a wife too. They have wives. I don't think that's the tone he's demonstrating. He says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Did Paul work for a living? Yes. What was his trade? Tent maker. We see glimpses of that through Acts. And you're going to get to see here a little bit that Paul must not have been. I think there's some interesting reasons for it. Paul must not have been taking anything from the Corinthian church. But he's clearly saying, don't I have the right to do that? Now, Paul's going to give some reasons. He's going to unfold this. He's going to take that last statement specifically and unpack this. Okay? He's going to give some reasons. I think there's five that he gives. It depends on how you count them. Um, This is where it shifts for me from feeling a little odd to, I'm just being completely honest, feeling a little awkward. Okay? I don't know if you know this, but this church gives me a paycheck. Did you guys know that? Okay. Paul's talking about that topic, right? I always feel a little awkward with this topic. I I don't know why. Don't try to help me with it. I'll never get past it. Okay? Just just telling you. Just letting you know. Paul then goes into a defense of that idea. Okay? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So he's given this first one here. Right? These three are all kind of one reason. I want to call it the, the reason, um, well, the first reason was uh, the example of the apostles. Right, The other apostles have a believing wife. The other apostles do this. And I think from that last, they, they must have been receiving support in some way. Okay? So depending on how you count. This is definitely a second reason here. Just, I want to call it a typical practice. What soldier, he says, can you imagine, he's thinking, we have some veterans in this room, right? Can you imagine if, uh, to be a soldier, you still had to have a job to provide, but you, know, you still had to go out and do your soldier stuff, but then you had to come back and do your work. Do you, do you see that that's what he's saying? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? What, what kind of stress would that put on someone who's a soldier? What, what if they had to go away for a certain amount of time, but there wasn't any compensation for that? Would you expect that of anybody? No. That's the example he's giving. He said, "Who serves as a soldier at his own expense?" Maybe there's somebody that goes, "I want to be a soldier so bad, I'm, I'm gonna. You don't have to pay me. I'm just gonna do it." Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Can you imagine our farmers here with their crops? Would, would any of these farmers decide, "You know what? I'm just. I, I, I'm doing this because I love farming. In fact, I love it so much. I, I'm gonna go get a job so I can provide myself and everything I, I gather. I'm not gonna get any." Benefit from my, it's all going out. Just to, I just want to feed people. <laughs> how long would they last? Not long financially, and even if they had the ability to work a full time job and do all the farming at the same time, all all, how, how long would that person mentally last? For the, anybody know a farmer in the room? Know some farmers? How long? How long would they last, Bruce? Bruce could probably tell us. <laughs> Not very long. There's probably some that have to do some other jobs, right? Is it a stress? Strain? Yeah. Do you see, Paul's just given some typical examples. What's the third one here? He says, uh, um, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Well, it depends on what kind of flock. I may not want the milk. but, uh, But who does it? Do you see his point? Soldiers, farmers, shepherds, in ordinary practice, they would be recipients of their labors. So that's reason number two, typical practice. He continues on. He says, Now, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? You know what he's doing here? He's pulling in scriptural backing, Old Testament teaching. For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? So that little quote, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Paul says, is God God, like worried about oxen not getting, is that, no. Um, It was, uh, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. I think that the idea here, this is the best I could find. I think the, the oxen treading out the grain. I don't know if I could tell you the purpose of this. I'm not even going to try. But can you imagine how mean it would feel to have those oxen doing that and then put a muzzle on them. So, so as they're walking, if they're like, man, I'm getting hungry. I don't know if oxen think that way. But man, I'm getting kind of hungry. They couldn't just go, man, I need a bite. You know, they just bring that. You know, I get, I get sometimes their work and their laboring. But then there's, there's some sustenance provided in the process. How cruel would it be to put a muzzle on that ox while they're doing that? To have them walking around on what they love to eat and say, you can't touch it. Now, I'm no ancient farmer, but I can imagine that would have been pretty mean. And I think that the picture would have been demonstrated for their sake. He says, then, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things? From you, If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So he has this right, but he's not taking advantage of it. I can begin to imagine those who are fighting for their own rights to eat the meat offered to the idols starting to go, hmm, Paul's got a point here. He's got a much bigger right that he's foregoing. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I'm giving you an example. There's, there's an example in my own life where I, I had a right and I, 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 I kind of set it to the side for the sake of something bigger. You see how he's laying out this example? He's not done giving reasons, though. He goes on. Do you not know, and I think these are the next, there's, I think there's two reasons here. Once again, it depends on how you count. He says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. I think that could be true. of uh, Clearly, he's referencing Judaism, the Jewish temple. But I think for any of these Corinthians, any temples that they would have seen, they would have understood this principle. <coughs> verse 14, it says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I think this is referring to Matthew 10.10. So that's why I split it up almost like two separate. He says the example of temple worship, but then he also says the teachings of Jesus himself. So he's laid out at least, I think, five reasons why. And once again, see my awkwardness. Can you feel it? Can you feel the tension? Uh, My So... Reasons why a preacher should get a preacher of the gospel should get paid. That's what he's doing. It's the right, is what he says. But then he snuck in there, but I've foregone that right. Now, let's, let's even take the awkwardness to another level. When I read this years ago, and even more recently, I'm going to tell you what I got out of it. I don't think I was right. I'm going to tell you what I got out of it. I thought, a pastor has a right to have a salary. You should pay your pastor. I had no problem voicing that when I wasn't a pastor. I'm like, man, you should take care of your pastor. I'm real on to that. Now I'm a pastor. It seems weird to say you should take care of your pastor because I'm the pastor. I'm the recipient. And so then I read a passage like this and I thought, man, as a pastor, you have that right. But if you're a really spiritual pastor like Paul, you would forego that right and, and, and just say no. Don't give me anything. Now, can you see why I would think that after reading this? Some of you are looking at me like I don't know. That's that's when I used to read this. This is what I walked away with. I thought, am I not as good of a pastor because every month you guys give me a paycheck? And then I, this is so personal. But then I always felt a little, I felt a little bit. In the middle of the road, because I thought, well, I am still—I just still—I mean, it's not enough to live off of, so I'm, you know, I'm still working my job, and so then I was like, maybe I'm kind of spiritual. <laughs> 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 uh, my gosh, my head is so messed up. See, same old saying earlier: you've got to pray for Matt, right? <laughs> you filter doesn't always work. This is what I walked away with when I used to read this passage. Um, so, on the one hand. Paul's clearly laying out this idea. Preachers of the gospel ought not to have to work for themselves. You should take care of them. On the other hand, Paul said once already he's not making use of these rights. He's not going to do it. He's using it as an example, I think, because of chapter 8. But I think there's something else here. So let's keep going. Just a few more verses. He continues on. He says, but I have made no use of any of these rights. Have we heard the word rights a lot in this? I have made use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So just in case any of the Corinthians thought, oh, he's writing this because we haven't been paying him. He's, no. And then he goes this far. And this added to my sense of, of false guilt because if I read the next part, if I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul's like, I'd rather, I'd rather be dead than you guys paying me. I'd rather be dead. That's what he said. I, I read this and I thought, may, may, should I do that? <laughs> Things will be tight, honey. <laughs> um, but do you, Can you see how I might think? What, what, so what's Paul saying? Let, well, let's keep going here. Let's keep going. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, glorying. Think of that word boasting as glorying. For necessity is laid upon me. If I preach the gospel, I have no room for for boasting, for glorying, because necessity, there's a need that's put on me. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, i got to preach the gospel. It's kind of like when you realize something that's true, you got to tell people about it. That's what he's saying. Uh, I think of, what was it? Is it Chicken Little? The sky is falling, right? Imagine it really was going to fall. I mean, we find out a big truth like this, you've you got to tell people. So what, and Paul's like, man, woe to me. Because if, if you start to know, because part of the good news of the gospel is the, the bad news of the gospel, that, that some that, that there's some who, because of the gospel, are going to go to heaven, but that's not everybody. And this good news needs, needs, needs to be preached and heard and believed that the Messiah has come. We've got to tell people. And, and you start to feel this sense of, uh, this burden, even though you know it's all God is working this all out, you still, as any person who knows truth, you feel this sense of burden to say, man, there's some," and that's what I think, woe to me. There's something wrong with me if I can hear the truth and not tell people about it. Woe to me if I, if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So he's just kind of like, he's laying this out. So if I do it of my own will, there's a reward, but if, if I do it, um, but if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. So if I'm doing it cause, just because I want to, there's a reward. We'll come back to that thought in just a minute. If I'm not doing it of my own will, just out of necessity, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship, a responsibility. What then is my reward? What then, are that in my preaching... What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, let's hold that. There's a lot of thoughts in here. Okay? Now, just to help you hold it, I'm going to go to a blank screen. So you can focus. One of the commentaries I read, Charles Erdman, uh, lays this idea out because of the Corinthian people. I think that this is important to understand all these things Paul is talking about. Charles Erdman says this, he says, In refusing financial support from the church at Corinth, Paul was not questioning the right of Christian ministers to receive salaries for the maintenance of themselves and their families. That's not his purpose here. On the contrary, he established this right and states that he renounces it in a particular case. There's something unique about the Corinthians. Why he knew? Because we know that Paul took gifts from the Philippian church. And there's potential others that maybe he received support from. But this particular church, he knew in this case, I ought not to do it. On the contrary, he establishes, uh, he established this right and states that he renounces it in a particular case only with a view to the furtherance of his work or rather for fear that otherwise it, his work might be hampered. He says that in this passage. Paul's refusal, I think, to accept Pay from the Corinthians says less about Paul and more about the Corinthians. Okay? Do you guys remember back at the beginning with the, the idea of patronage? Do you remember me talking about that for those that were here? Okay? In this society, and let me read something else here. Um, in this society, Paul's aware that if he accepts financial provision from the Christians at Corinth, This will come mainly, if not entirely, from the wealthier members of the church. They will become, in effect, His patrons and He their client." See, he knows something about the Corinthians. He knows their issues. He knows for him to accept payment from them. You know what's going to happen? He knew what was going to happen. He knew that those who are the wealthy, I think is also the same ones that are the strong in the knowledge of the gospel that are saying, it's okay for us to meet that same group of people. They're going to be saying, if we've paid them, and suddenly they're going to have a little bit, of, or think they will have a little bit of sway over Paul. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever seen, visited, heard about a church that operated that way where the, the pastor was seen more, like you had the, the wealthy ones in the church were kind of running things? You ever seen that happen? Yeah? And, and, and then when the pastor's not doing what they're supposed to do, one of them will kind of sneak in there and be like, you want to keep your job, pal. <laughs> okay, does that sound familiar? Does this start to make what we're talking about here make more sense? Why Paul may have said, I'm not. I think Paul was saying, I can't take it from you because I know you. I know what you're going to think it's going to mean. And you Corinthians have no sway on me. I'm going to preach the gospel. And the fact that he refused said less about him and more about that situation with those people. And the sway that they may have thought that they could have over Paul, so Paul's refusing support not to set a precedent. I got—I can't tell you how much how relieved I was at that. This may sound like silly to you, but but uh, I had been beating myself up over a passage like this, thinking, "Man, am I am I not living up to the Paul standard because I'm accepting pay for being a pastor? Am I am I not doing that?" I will tell you, if you ever get to the place where you you, you think. Hey, because we're paying you, you're going to do what we tell you to do and preach the way we tell you to preach. I'm going to say, well, forget the paycheck. I preach what? This. Okay? I appreciate, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you guys support us. But I also can say that that's not the deciding factor and that that's what Paul's talking about. It's not the deciding factor. So now, because I want to make this applicable, because there's a big idea that I think is being presented here, and so I want to take these, these ideas. I, I think you get the picture, but let's take some, make some application. You guys ready for some application here? I got three, okay? Three. Now, I don't have a slide for these because I changed the application on the way to church this morning. Okay? I had a different application, and it just wasn't sitting right, and I was driving to church this morning. I'm like... It just, boom, that's it. And then I, I, I grabbed my phone, and I, I talked it into the phone so I wouldn't forget it. So my notes are a little bit odd because some of it was me talking it into the, the document. I'm just glad Google, Google can do that, right? I can tell it. I can talk it, and it'll type it. So I grab my phone. It's like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Okay. So here we go. Three points of application. So we can draw, I believe that we can draw from Paul's example, not just what he's telling them from the last chapter, but what he's demonstrating by his own life with these things. Number one, for those of you who like to take notes down, sorry, no slide. Number one has has to do with foregoing our rights. So if you're writing something down, you can write down foregoing rights. Do you know what I mean by that? Like rights, but that takes the back seat. Think of it that way. Yeah, rights. Paul clearly does not argue the fact that he had a right to be supported by the Corinthian church. But for something bigger, he was willing to forego the right because of the sake of the gospel. Paul is laying out this example for all. And I think that this particular one, it hits us where it hurts. I don't know if you remember that quote from last week, but if you talk about, think about laying down your rights and you start to get that sense of nervousness, like, what am I going to have to give up? Let's dwell on that for a little bit. When you walk out of here today, if, if the bigger question is less about, like, you may go, man, I'm, I'm willing to forgo my rights as long as it's not one I really want. It's not only that something that's really important to me. You see the issue? There needs to be a willingness, if nothing else, there needs to be a willingness to forgo Writes for the sake of the gospel. Stephen Um, who I quote from a lot, lot, he says this on the same passage, he says, the strong, popular, culturally palatable leaders and rhetoricians of the day made their living by collecting money and staying in the homes of their hearers. Okay, that was in Corinth. This gave wealthy individuals leverage and sway in their relationships with their leaders. It was a means of creating relational debt, of ensuring that even though an individual's leader was leading. He was ultimately dependent on the sponsor for his livelihood slash well-being. And Paul, I think, is in this process of him foregoing his rights. I think he's pressing them as well to forego their rights. And for the sake of the gospel, you know what I think he's doing? I think he's, he's identifying himself. So here you have this church, right? And I don't know if I can classify, but let's see, you got the... You got the wealthy. I'll, I'll use my dad as the example. I get the wealthy because he's, he's so rich and wealthy. Um, right? Paul was willing to forgo that connection for the poorer of the church. So he got to identify. In fact, it's, it's thought that tent makers who really it's about leather working because a lot of times they'd use skins to make those tents. That they were sometimes looked down upon by the wealthy. Now, we know from documents that uh, the tent makers didn't look down on themselves. They were proud of their work. It actually it sounds like today, doesn't it? But some of the wealthy kind of looked down on those people that had to do manual labor. And so Paul, I think, in the process of doing that, was identifying himself with everybody in the church. So then you got these, these poor people, <laughs> right? And you can imagine for them, because this, this is turning that society upside down. Paul's saying, you, I can't be bought. He knew the problem that they were facing. And he said, I can't be bought. I'm going to forgo my rights to prove to you that that's not the most important thing. What's more important is this body, the church, this family. And everybody matters. So he lays down this principle, forgoing rights. Paul knew, and that's why I think you see that in that last little bit. Preaching the gospel free of charge. He wanted the gospel. He knew for them to understand that the gospel was free. He had to demonstrate it with his life. It's really free. I think some churches it wouldn't have been an issue. But with the Corinthian church, if he said it's free, but then he said, "I, I need to be paid. It would have affected their understanding of the gospel. And Paul knew this church, it needed to see it demonstrated, not just with words, but with a life. And so Paul sacrificed his rights for the sake of the gospel and the church at Corinth. So number one, there's a pattern of foregoing rights for the sake of the church. We talked about that some last week, so I'm not going to continue on that one. But Let me give you a second reason here. A second lesson I think we can learn. I don't know if you notice this, and I'm going to put it down this way. So foregoing rights, number one. Number two, reaping rewards. This is the one that came to me on the way to church. Reaping rewards. I need to go back. Notice right here. This is, this is interesting to me. It says, um, he says right here, what then is my reward? It, you'd think that when he starts talking about reward, he starts talking about like heavenly rewards. That's what a lot of times we talk about, like forsaking the earthly for the heavenly. He's actually talking about a reward that ha- he, he's experiencing right now. He said, what is, what is my reward? And this is the reward. That in my preaching... I may present the gospel free of charge. For Paul, that in and of itself, the the opportunity that he had because he was able, he didn't have a family he needed to take care of, right, at this particular time. God had put him in a situation where he was able to make tents, preach the gospel free of charge. And for him, that was reward. That was reward. There's something to be said about reaping rewards because I don't think we put a lot of stock in those types of rewards. But Paul clearly in this passage, he's not even talking about heavenly rewards in this. He's talking about, man, it's a reward to get to do this for the Corinthians, for you. I think for myself, I can't grab a hold of this as much as I can with with Paul. And I want to tell you, I've not done this perfectly in my time as your pastor. But I have to tell you, there are times when I, I've given it, because I, I could be just like, just like Paul. I can't tell you how many Saturdays, right? Work during the week, and I get to Saturday, and Saturday's sermon prep time. I can't tell you, and this is an awful admission, and you'll want to boot me out when I'm done. But I, I, I've gotten to Saturday and said, you know, why well, am I not a person too? Don't I get a day off? Don't I deserve a Saturday to relax. And there's been some times where I'm trying to work on my sermon, but I'm having a hard time because there's a little part of my, there's this little guy in my head going, this stinks. <laughs> I bet everybody else is just laying around this morning. And you're getting up at the crack of dawn, drinking your coffee so you can get awake, trying to prepare a sermon. You know how hard it is to prepare a sermon when your heart's like that? That's not, not good, not good. I have to repent every Saturday. But I can also say and, and I say it I hope with the same spirit that Paul's saying that the times when I've I've killed that little guy in my head, you know, smash him, and, and I, I've I've gone, I get to study the word on your behalf and and, and preach the gospel to you. That in and of itself is reward. And if you don't know that reward, let me tell you, it's worth it. I'm not talking about getting, I'm not saying everybody's got to get up here and preach. Although, if you want to, i will give you an opportunity. Um, I take a Saturday off. Um, but <laughs> there's something special about being able to, if, if your life has it orchestrated. See, I know that some of you, it's, it's impossible to go this, this distance. But when you have that availability and you're able to serve the body free of charge, without recognition, that in and of itself is is a reward. And some of you, I know, there are some of you in this church that know it personally. I don't want to take away anybody's reward, but I want to brag on my my parents for a moment. (laughs) They're going to hate every second of what I'm getting ready to do. But some of you know... uh, they serve this church free of charge. Right? It's, it's that attitude. And like I said, if you don't know, if you don't know what it's like, you're like, man, I don't really know what he's talking about. Like, it seems like when I go and I serve at the church, it feels like a pain in the behind. You, you're missing it then. You, you have to understand that it's an identification with the gospel because when you're doing that, what's the gospel? The gospel free. And if you're able to serve this body, you're following in the footsteps of Christ. And so that's why I put down number two. And this was one that came to me on the way to church. This is I thought, there is, is, it is, is. Paul's right. It's a reward. And Paul, uh, that's what he's saying. He said, what's my reward? I think the Corinthians are like, how's that a reward initially? I hope that after they read this, they go, I get it. That's reward as well. Forget heavenly rewards for a minute. We can talk about those up one wall and down the other, but you know what, man? There's something genuinely real about the opportunity, the opportunity to serve others just to demonstrate the gospel. Going right, reaping rewards. I don't think that's selfish. I think it's just a reality. Experiencing the joy of presenting the gospel with your life. Finally, and this one I'm going to cover very short, short and sweet. When you start to adopt this foregoing of rights and, and recognizing, maybe I should have gone rep, recognizing instead of reaping. Change your notes. I like that better. Recognizing rewards. Um. When you start to forego your rights, recognizing those things as rewards, that I, I got to, to be a little bit like Jesus when I, I sacrificially did this or I, when I gave up my time to do that, I got to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So I shared in his suffering. When you start to adopt that mentality, there's a side effect. So, my third point is a side effect battling resentment. Now, some of you are not going to be as familiar with it. I think everybody's going to know exactly what I'm talking about, but some of you are not going to know it as well. But when you you give and give and give and give and give, how do you feel when you see that person who doesn't? Be honest. How do you feel? So you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. You're giving up your time, energy, efforts, finances. You're you're doing that. And then you see somebody else that's just not doing anything. How do you? What's that? Yes. Don't you start to resent it? That's actually my point. Did I say it? Resent. Battling. Resent. You get it, don't you? Anybody ever start to keep a mental record of how many times you've done something? And you got another little record over here of how much somebody else has done something. And then you start to be like, you start to puff up, don't you? Look what all I've done. Look what, how little they've done. And then you, you, you show up. Maybe there's one more opportunity. There's something else that comes up. And let's just, like, say at church, it's like a chance to serve. And you show up, and you're the only one. You think to yourself, Again. What can happen in those moments? Resentment. I don't think if you're going down the, the, the direction of resentment that you're seeing things the way Paul does. Paul sees this opportunity for him to forgo this right as an opportunity to reap a reward. He gets to demonstrate by his life the gospel. You know what? Let's be honest. There are some in this room that do not have the ability to do things that Paul does. I, I couldn't do. I couldn't go to the extent. I've got a family, right? Paul didn't have a wife at this time. He was able to do, go be the tent maker and then do this. Right now, I have an opportunity to do that to a degree. Some of your lives are busy. Things are hard. There's stresses. There's things going on. I thought of Abby talking about coming home, the four-year-old, right? I mean, those are the little ones. Of oh, there's, there's things going on. For those of us, if you find yourself with the opportunity to serve, see it for what it really is. It's opportunity to live the gospel. You better get your eyes off of everybody else and what they're doing and keep your eyes on him. I remember uh, at the end of one of the gospels, I think it's John, um, Jesus tells um, Peter, he kind of hints at how Peter's going to die. Peter, you're going to follow me in such a way that you're going to die. And he does. He actually does. He, he is crucified. Peter is. He actually gets crucified upside down, we think, in Rome. Um, but Jesus basically tells him. And Peter says something that I think most of us think when we're called to serve or sacrifice. Peter, talking to Jesus, goes literally, and I, I can find it for you. This is just coming to me now. I, uh, he says, well, what about him? And points to John. Look it up. That's what he says. What about him? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus just says, what is that to you? That's right where some of us have been stopped. We give. We sacrifice. We serve. Maybe we know some people are doing it more than others. Maybe we're, we're not doing as much as others, but, but we start doing it, and and, and then we start to get our eyes on the ones who aren't they seem to be reaping the benefits of our service and we look to Jesus and we say well what about them well you can know what Jesus's response would be what is that to you what is that to you what is that to you, can you imagine if Jesus would have done that going to the cross why am I the one that has to, right? No, he goes the distance, and then when he's done and it's finished and accomplished, he turns around and he says, now you, come on, do, do likewise. See what I've done? This is how I want you to live, how I live. Come on. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And then we're going to partake of communion. I want to encourage you. I've been trying to come up with some connection each week. I hope that you've noticed this. Some connection each week between what we've been talking about and where this relates. The obvious connection is always remembering Christ. But I think there's also an opportunity. And we're actually going to talk about this in a few more chapters in Corinthians. There's also an opportunity when we're doing this to examine ourselves. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I have not recognized service as what it really is, an opportunity. And you may need to confess as they're passing this out and you get the bread and you're holding it, you may have to confess to God, Lord, I've been, I've been missing out all the gospel rewards you've been laying out for me because I'm, I've been so focused on what I'm doing and what they're not doing and what else, other people are doing and, and, or maybe just all the stuff I have to do. Lord, I need to repent. And so there's this opportunity, Paul is going to talk about, to examine ourselves. And so this is a great opportunity. When you're holding that bread, perfect opportunity to say, okay, Lord, you, you went and died on the cross for me, for my sake. You went the distance. I mean, he, Lord, you even went so far as to when you were on the cross, looked out across that crowd and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, Lord, help me to have that kind of, I haven't, I haven't. Been so focused on, on how great I am, how good I've been doing, or how jealous I am, how frustrated I am, or how resentful I am. Lord, help me. Forgive me. Point me in the right direction. When you get that cup, continue that. Lord, is, is there other things in me? Maybe I'm not recognizing, Lord. Point, point it out. Show me my heart how I can do this like you would want me to do this, how I can live this life how you'd want me to live this life.